For us, if you open to Matthew chapter 2. We're looking at the cast of Christmas, and now we're focusing on the Magi, or the wise men, and their adoration and worship of the child they found. What comes to your mind when I mention Mona Lisa, or the scream, or Impression Sunrise? You guys got that look on you, like, what is he talking about? These are exactly, they're all famous paintings, and they're all considerably very expensive paintings. They're considered masterpieces. But they have something else in common. They're all stolen at one point or another. The Mona Lisa, as you'll see up on the screen, was painted by Leonardo da Vinci in the 16th century. In 1911, a museum worker walked out of the river with it under a smock. He thought it belonged in Italy rather than France. But two years later, he was caught trying to sell the painting. And there is the Mona Lisa. The scream was painted by Edvard Munch. And it was, he painted it in the 1900s. In 2004, it was ripped off a museum wall by armed robbers, but fortunately it was recovered and restored. And then Impression Sunrise was painted by Claude Monet in the late 1800s. In 1985, armed robbers stormed the Montmartre Museum in Paris and took it, but it was recovered five years later by the French police. So you got a little small art lesson this morning for free to know what's going to happen. And you're asking yourself, what in God's name does this have to do with Christmas? Well, here's the point. As we're closing in on Christmas, I want to remind you and myself what an amazing and precious gift or treasure that first Christmas gave us. Beyond anything you can buy, toy, gift, whatever it is, nothing can compare to that precious gift that was giving, given to us. And as our planning and preparation and commitments are reaching now a fever pitch, don't miss the point of Christmas. Simply stated, Emmanuel, God with us. I don't want you to think of God being somewhere in heaven who you cannot really reach or talk to, but rather a God who is with us and present in our everyday lives. Even non-believers, God desires and He longs to have that relationship with them. He wants to be in your car as you go to work, as you go shopping. He wants to be there and to celebrate with you Congratulations when your kids graduate high school or college or you get a raise at your job. And he wants to be there with you at those times of great sadness of passing of a loved one. Dear beloved, God desires to be with us. Now, let that sink in for a moment. Look at the person to your left or to your right. And sometimes you don't want to be with that person, but God desires to be with that person. 
blows me away. So, in John chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and John says, dwelt among us. Now, we're told in Scripture there was nothing really stood out about Jesus. He was just an ordinary-looking guy. But I believe when people looked him in the eye, they must have saw something really, really different. That thief on the cross looked at him and saw something very different. Thousands of people saw him and spoke to him. Their lives were forever changed. In order to help us preserve and protect the real treasure and meaning of Christmas, we're going to read about the account of the Magi found in Matthew chapter 2. Now, we find different approaches in this passage. The meaning and power are lost or stolen for Herod and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. However, their response, the Magi's response of worship is the proper response. And if you, I, if you and I follow the example of the Magi, we will find that the power, wonder, and meaning of Christmas will not be wasted on us or stolen from us. So let's look at the text, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After the hearing of the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening up their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. The Magi, the wise men. Despite of what we sing about and we we talk about at Christmas, they were not kings. They were more likely scholars. People, astrologers. And we're not told how many of them they were. We just assume there's three because there's three gifts. In the Expositor's Bible commentary, it says the term magi loosely covered a wide variety of men interested in dreams, astrology music, books thought to contain mysterious references to the future, and the like. So there were scholars and astrologers, but they must have had some working knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures. 
Apparently they had come across something that told about the announcement how the Messiah was to be born. Perhaps they came into some Jews after the Spora, after they were dispersed out of Jerusalem when it fell. Maybe they came across some Jewish believers and they heard about this, but they knew enough that they knew something was going on. We don't know where they came from, except the Tacitus tells us they came from the east, possibly as far as Babylon. And we don't know what the star was. Some suggest perhaps it was a comet or a planet, Jupiter and Saturn, that they believe aligned in a certain way back in 7 B.C. But I believe it was just a supernatural event that led them to where Christ was. I think we lose a lot of time and effort when we try to find some natural circumstance that caused this to happen. No, I believe God stepped into human history and that was a supernatural event. And the amazing account that we find in Matthew was this. Now we see the shepherds and Luke go, but we're talking about Matthew's account of the birth there. What strikes me, when you look at the whole account from verse 1 to verse 12, you have these non-Jewish astrologer scholars who actually respond in the correct way. And you see the chief priests and the scribes, teachers of the law, who should have known better, kind of just glaze over the fact. We'll get to that in a moment. But isn't it amazing that these non-Jewish, who must have had some type of working knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures, they recognize it, but people who should have known better kind of just miss the boat. We're from, and it reminds me of, of us as followers of Jesus. Has Christmas lost its wonder and awe because we've gotten so familiar with the story and the knowledge of it, we forget the real meaning of it. We, we lose focus on what Christmas is truly all about. I give gifts to my wife and to my children and grandchildren, like, not because I expect something in turn, but I give. Why should I give? Because of all the blessings God blesses me with, I turn around now and bless you with what God blessed me with. And one thing I found out, you cannot outgive God. You just can't do it because He owns everything. But if you look what's happening to Christmas in our country, it's all about gift giving and Buy this and buy that. And we've, we've missed the meaning why we give gifts in the first place. It's not about how much money you spend. It's about recognizing to God the blessings he's given you with. So you, you bless God back and you bless your family. And, and when your friends get that gift, they say, well, I didn't buy you anything. You tell them, hey, I didn't buy you a gift to get anything back. But let me tell you about a gift that I know about that will give you something that this world came and talk about because they, they don't understand. Let me tell you about the gift of Christ. You start thinking about how we can use all these things in Christmas to lead somebody to hear about Christ. So let's, let's turn it back to they should know better. And after encountering the Magi, Herod calls the chief priests and the teachers of the law to come to him. They ask a question. Look at the question in the text. Where the Messiah was to be born? Of course, they answered by quoting the prophet Micah. 
And Micah had pointed to Bethlehem. This is a prophecy that happened 700 years before he was even born. Interesting, we, hear no, we don't hear nothing about them anymore in this passage. And yet they hear that the Messiah was to be born. So they look at the scriptures. They dedicated their lives to scriptures. They dedicated their lives to teach it. They make their living from it. They're teaching about God's prophecies about the Messiah. And when they hear this could possibly be the one, this is the one who fulfills the prophecy, they just sit there and go, oh yeah, just check Bethlehem. They don't go out and check it for themselves. There's no excitement. They just go, oh yeah, just check over there. Doesn't that strike you as strange? It'd be like the second coming of Christ and the trumpet sounds and the sky rolls back and we look at each other and go, yeah, this is Christ coming back. What? Us who know prophecy, know scripture, we need to open our eyes. Let me encourage you. Now, what, what I don't want to tell you to do is look at the newspaper and try to fit every article into biblical prophecy. It doesn't work like that. But look at the bigger picture. Prophecy is being fulfilled. We are getting closer to that time. I can't tell you when that time is. Only God knows that. But I know one thing for sure. We're closer to it now than we were yesterday. Oh, and Christ told us, I tell you these things so when they happen, my translation, you won't freak out. Oh yeah, Jesus told me that was going to happen. It must be getting close. I have to make sure that I'm ready. I have to make sure my friends are ready. I have to make sure my family's ready. So when they meet him, they'll be ready. And we've lost so much of that, I would say excitement, enthusiasm, but a sense of urgency. That Christ can literally come back any time. And yet our God is so patient and so loving. He is waiting. Because He doesn't want anyone to perish, but to all to come to repentance and eternal life. Tell Herod to just go over to Bethlehem. It seems like they don't really care about the Messiah themselves. They're getting kind of puffed up maybe on the knowledge they have about the Messiah. Don't let your knowledge and your understanding of the events of Christmas steal away the awe and wonder of it all. It's important to learn about God and study His Word and His commands. But don't make the same mistake of the chief priests and the scribes putting knowledge About God, about knowing God. The hardest distance for me a lot of times, I can know all I can know about God and Scripture here. But sometimes, to be perfectly honest, it kind of loses its way when it goes from here to here. There is a difference between knowing and believing. Because we we use the words, uh, if you would hear and believe. But back in the ancient times, we talk about hearing something It was understood when I say I hear you that not only am I hearing you, but I'm actually comprehending and I'm agreeing and I believe what you say. But we've been cheap in human words, have we not? We we, we say stuff all the time, but we do not think about what we're saying. Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 14, he doesn't say I know my sheep and they know about me. He says, I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, or sheep, and my own, or my own sheep know me. So you can know about him. 
You can know about church and worship and all this, but let me ask you a question. Do you really have this simple head knowledge or do you have heart knowledge? Knowing about him is not the same thing as having a relationship with him. Don't let your knowledge of the Christmas story or your focus on obtaining any new knowledge about God steal the treasure of Christmas from your heart. And look at it. We have it up here. We have the nativity. We have the nativity. God help me if I ever get over the fact that Jesus stepped out of heaven. I mean, can you imagine being there one day? We, we have descriptions. They talk about the, the mansions and the streets of gold, but I think the point of all that is like, who cares about all that when I can stand in the presence of my Creator and my Savior and my Lord? And the very fact when I stand there and see, all, my faith now will become my sight. Everything I read about and talked about and preached about, I will see it. Jesus, you left all this for me. And then I think in that moment, then I'm going to think, why didn't I just do more? Why didn't I preach more? Why didn't I live my faith out more? Because then we'll see it all, won't we? But we never get over the fact that God stepped into human history. He didn't leave us alone. He did something about it. Man. My language fails me at the moment to tell you what's going on in my heart. The very fact that God would do that. We have Herod, Herod the hater. <laughs> when he heard about the Magi and what they said, he was troubled. And the translation says, all Jerusalem with him. Look, Herod was kind of a mean guy. He was paranoid and he was power hungry. Hmm, does that sound like anyone today? Just saying. History tells us that he killed his own two sons because he was worried that they would steal his power and authority from him. If you want to read about a real, you, you think you might have a mess, go read Herod and all that mess what went on with him. And true to his form, Herod pretended that he wanted to go worship Jesus too. But as we see later in the chapter, he had no intention of worship. He was going to go kill him. That's why he told him that. And Herod's response to Christmas is an extreme example of self-preservation and fighting for the status quo. He's the exact opposite response that the Magi have. Herod treats the news of Christmas in the same way he responds to any threats of his power. He tried to eliminate it. He pretends interest in worship so he can maneuver to have the upper hand. Now, most of us in this room would not actively fight against the Messiah. But we have to at least acknowledge there is a little Herod in all of us that we need to guard ourselves against. Because there's a part of us that takes or tries to take the glory away from Jesus during this season. And we do that by putting our traditions above worship. We do that by elevating our expectations above the needs of others. We do that by demanding things go our way on this holiday season, above and beyond what God might be doing or what others need. 
Christmas traditions are wonderful. But as Brother Larry has said, be interruptible. We need God and allow God to adjust our plans. Allow God to interrupt your plans to have his way. Even when it collides with our preferences and our expectations. You see, Herod was so concerned with keeping control, not only did he miss the greatest blessing, the greatest gift in history, but he fought directly against it. Don't be so caught up in having our way. You know, what, what are we so afraid of? Seriously. We know God is sovereign. This whole universe is his. And as a believer in Christ, you know that he holds you safely in his hand. And nothing can take you out. And we know how this world is going to end. But yet we run around sometimes scared and insecure. You know, you heard God loves you. But ever consider this, God likes you? He likes the way you solve problems. He likes the way you think about things and do things. Because you know what? He created you that way. You ever think about that? God gave you those gifts, those talents. He created you. And to use a, now you have to remember, every illustration breaks down. It's kind of like having a Ford pickup truck. All right? I know there's Ford and Chevy people out here. And then you have a Volkswagen bug. If I have a Ford truck, would I go buy a Volkswagen Beetle manual to fix my Ford pickup with? You say, Tim, that's stupid. Why would you do such a thing? Because they don't know what's going on. They, the, the Volkswagen people have no idea how a fort's built, the parts that are put together, how they do it, the warranty on it, what's designed to do. They have no idea because they didn't design it, they didn't build it, they have no idea. Why would I do that? Dearly beloved, we do the very same thing in our lives when we respond without looking at what Scripture tells us. That is the owner's mouth. The Creator is telling us what to do to fix it because He created us. He knows what's wrong. And He's done the very thing that we need. It reminds me when I was a kid, my mom had a 1975, or my mom and dad had a 1975 Buick Saber. For you who don't know, it was like a driving yacht. The thing was huge. The doors were this big. We didn't wear seatbelts. And so if my dad had to put on brakes real hard, he'd do this. That guy's going to stop my mom from going through the windshield, but you know, we still do that. I tell you that because a lot of times in my life, I'm limited. I don't know the present. I have no idea what's around the next curve of my life. I, I try to plan and pray, but I really don't know. But God knows. And if I'm getting into a behavior that's going to cause some destruction in my life, the Holy Spirit will put that arm and say, Tim, don't go no more. And all I'm seeing is, why? Why? I can't. This ain't nothing wrong with this. Get out of my way. And I push that away and I don't see that 50-foot cliff I'm about to walk right off of. He's given that. He's not being mean. He has our best interests at heart. He goes, Tim, I created you. I know it's going to work for you. I have your best wishes at heart. I don't want you to hurt, son. I want you to walk with me. I want you to give you life and life abundantly. Listen to me. But time and time again, we don't do that, do we? 
and we think we know better, and we end up messing up, and then we go back to God and say, God, why did you leave? And he says, I didn't leave. I was here all the time. You walked away from me. But one more time, don't be like Herod that you're so concerned about keeping the status quo or keeping the things that you wanted that you say, you know, God, I give up. Here, take it all. One more thing before I move on. Insanity is basically doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. The, 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 the most time in my personal life when I see a lot of spiritual growth is when I reach that breaking point and I fall down and I cry out, God, I give up. Take it. And whatever you do with it, I'll follow your lead. That's what our churches, and I'm speaking as a whole in America, desperately need to do. But that's not just a one-time event, though. It's a daily it's almost hourly because we want, go, we want everything to go our way. We have a, a wise example, the Magi. And as we consider our preparation and response to the wonder of Christmas, let us consider their example. When they saw the child with his mother, what did they do? They fell down. Really, that word in the Greek can mean prostrate. That means when you lay face down and they worshipped him. When we worship corporately or individuals and we come face to face with God, you can see this in Isaiah chapter 6. I mentioned that last week. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. There was smoke and their threshold shook. And when Isaiah sees God, and he's in God's presence. God doesn't utter a word. He just shows up, and Isaiah's response automatically falls down and says, I'm an unclean man with unclean lips living among unclean people. My point is this. As the Magi saw him and recognized who he was, they fell down. No one had to tell them a word who he was and who they were, and they, they did it. And as they worshipped him, they opened up their treasures and they presented him gifts. Gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We don't know much about the Magi, but we do know this. In light of what God had done, their response is the only one that makes sense. And yet, they weren't the biblical scholars and teachers. They responded in worship. And if we want to guard the meaning and the wonder of Christmas, that's where we need to start. Because worship focuses on our hearts and our minds on what really matters. See, we don't worship God because he needs it. He's doing God a favor by showing up on church. or No, he doesn't need our worship. We just really need it. We just really need him. And when we worship, it, we... Experience the grandeur, the grace, and the greatness of God, and we experience a deeper connection with God. We get into His presence. Did you see that last song that we sang? We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of. That's what we're doing every time we come into His presence. Every time. We can only, we can plainly see that the teachers of the law should have known better. They knew about God, 
but they didn't seek him personally. We can easily see that Herod chose the wrong thing. His power could never match the power of God. His own place and position can never compare with the presence of God. The Magi show us the way to make the most of Christmas. And here it is. You ready? Worship. Adoration and worship. Worship, what is that? That's reverence. It's respect. It's aberration. It's awe. It's devotion to God. It is laying what we have and who we are before Him. And we look in the Scripture how people express this. We can find people worshiping by bowing, by laying face down, by lifting hands, by clapping, by serving, by making sacrifices, by trembling, by singing joyfully, by thanking, giving, kneeling, shouting, singing in gladness, confessing and exalting, responding in spirit and in truth. You see all that expressed in worship. When you come face to face in his presence, you won't need me up here. You'll know who you are in his presence. If you want to seek him, seek him now. And he says that, come, seek me and I will make myself known. The Magi worship through their gifts and offerings. The shepherds worship through their proclaiming the good news. And we find that Mary worshiped as she pondered all these amazing events in her heart. If you, me, we do anything this Christmas, let us remember what God has done and give God his due. He is worthy of all praise, adoration, and worship. There are times to be sober and reverent before God, quiet. There's also times we should be excited and express it. And I've said this before, but it bears repeating again. Today, people will gather and express their adoration and exaltation on sports teams. Look at the those people go nuts in football games. Not that I ever do anything like that. Yeah, right. Is it the Dallas Cowboys? Who's your favorite team? And they're down, and they've been beaten all the first half. And the second half, they're coming back, and they're just barely hanging on. And they finally get down the 20-yard line. It's like five seconds on the clock. If they punch it, they win the Super Bowl. And the atmosphere in those stadiums, I've been to professional football game. It's just, man, this is nuts. People yelling, screaming, cheering. And then they punch it. Do people sit back and go, that's great. We won the Super Bowl. And quietly walk out of the stadium. People in their living room sit there and go, ooh, we won the Super Bowl. All right, let's go. What do they do? Yeah! We won! And they go absolutely nuts. People in the mall, hey, did you win the Super Bowl? Yeah, we won! We're We're number one. We're number one. <laughs> you don't think I'm crazy. You probably already do think I'm crazy. But where is that type of excitement enthusiasm for our Lord and Savior? To sit and just cheer. So, look, that's Jesus. He conquered the grave. He conquered sin and shame. And because of him, I can live in heaven one day. And by the way, nothing in this world can touch my salvation. 
This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Where is that excitement? You ever look at some, you look at some of your hymns. Go ahead and open them. Let's flip through some of them songs. You know, you took English, and maybe some of you has been a long time ago. But when you're reading something, it has punctuation. You have commas where you're supposed to take a breath and continue reading. You have semicolons. You have periods. You have a question mark. So it's different, right? If it's a question mark, do you know Christ? Or if I put an exclamation point, do you know Christ? See, it's different, right? So when you look at some of you, look at the hymns. I'm being serious. You gotta look at me. I'm not open up. Amazing grace! Exclamation point! How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And yet, so often, I'm guilty of this too. Amazing grace. How sweet, man. Let that goodness and the greatness of God well up in you and just let it out. Don't be afraid to hold it. The Bible says, make a joyful nose. It doesn't say you have to be in tune. The greatest thing you can do is worship your God. For the, sometimes you want to do that. Sometimes you just rather crying and cry out to Him. Sometimes you just want to be in the quiet. Whatever it is, dearly beloved. This Christmas season and going on beyond, worship God. Don't hold anything back. Let it all out and say, God, here I am. Use me any way you see fit. Do whatever you need to do. Just like the Magi's, we can choose whatever form of worship best fits the occasion. They had precious metal and spices. They gave God what they had. What do you have to give to Jesus this Christmas? The beauty of worship is that it can be done in so many different ways. Through song, through prayer, through celebration, through gathering and fellowship, through service, and yes, even your job. The Magi worship the king not because they're supposed to. We shouldn't come to church because we're supposed to. That's what good people do. We go to church. What happens? I don't know. I just go. With the sermon, I don't know. I just go and sit on my pew. That's what I'm supposed to do. It's not like that at all. It's not because he requires you. Jesus doesn't force himself on anybody. It's because their hearts demanded it from them. When they came in the encounter with the risen Lord, their hearts were so turned and they were so filled with that grace and love, they couldn't help themselves. They had to worship. They encountered the Word who became flesh, God with us, resulting in the fact they were never the same again. We don't come to church because we have to or supposed to. We come to church because we want to. Our heart compels us to. We want to get with our brothers and sisters. We want to share our struggles, celebrate our victories, and talk about how good God is. And realize we're not walking this alone. God's with us, but we have faithful brothers and sisters beside us who are walking with us, praying with us, who we can call at a moment's notice and they'll be there. You see the difference? We shouldn't just go to church on Easter and Christmas because that's what we do. We should do it because our heart demands it from us. We want to be in the presence of God. So much so we will get down and we will cry out to God, show your face. 
And I'm going to end with this. First of all, we should always seek God's face. But this Christmas season, let's do it a little different. Hold nothing back. Seek him. Cry out to him. You're not going to tell him anything he doesn't already know. He knows everything about you, what you've done, what you're thinking about doing. And here's the kicker. He still loves you. You don't see that in this world. You don't see it. And yet he's calling out to you. Come to me. Give it. Lay it down. Give it to me. My burden is light and my yoke is easy, says God. What are you waiting for? What's keeping you back from experiencing the real meaning of Christmas? Don't rob yourself of the greatest blessing you can possibly have. Don't do it. Start today. So right now, bow your head and close your eyes. No one looking around. What is it God's tugging on your heart right now? Perhaps you've never given your life to Christ and you need to make that commitment now. You need to step up and to step out and say, yes, I'm going to give the Lord my life. Maybe you do that today. But I suspect for many of us, God is putting pressure on an area of our life We're having issues, we're messing up, but we don't want to let it go. Let go of your control and just give it over to him and say, God, do whatever is necessary. Some of that means perhaps we need to confess and repent. Are you tired? Are you worn out? What is God leading you to do? Heavenly Father. Thank you for your word, and we thank you for the greatest gift, your only son. And Father, I lift up everybody in this room to you. Father, I cry out to you. I plead with you. Continue to move and draw these men and women, boys and girls, unto yourself. May we be quick to respond in obedience. Father, we're, we're tired of setting for the status quo. We want to know you. We know all the facts about you, but we want to experience you. We want to experience your presence, your majesty, your wonder, and your awe. You do whatever is necessary in this moment. And we'll be quick to give you all the praise and glory for it. Uh, Brothers and sisters, don't look at me as someone telling you what you must do. I'm one of you. I'm a man. I'm broken just like you. What I'm telling you and asking you, let us together Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for who you are and for your great love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you-